The Africa Law Tech Podcast explores the latest in law technology and entrepreneurship in the African continent. This weekly podcast is brought to you by the Lawyers Hub, a law tech organization working on digital policy and justice innovation in Africa. To find out more, visit lawyershub.org or email us on info at Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, my name is Riza Jalakasi. I'll be hosting you to talk through some of the nuances and have really a, a productive conversation about how we can bring into place common sense regulation around cryptocurrencies on the continent. It has been an incredible year. I think last year, a lot of the exchanges, um, some of whose uh, team members are present in this conversation. We're reporting incredibly high volumes, all-time highs. There's a lot of general interest on the continent, uh, I think partly uh, fueled by COVID, partly fueled by uh, people's increased exposure and interest in wanting to understand what cryptocurrencies are and what sort of value they might provide, especially as speculative investments. And just as well, we've seen uh, interesting changes uh, in the regulatory landscape continent-wide the Central Bank of Nigeria, for example, um, putting in place a, a directive to all of the uh, banking system providers to not allow uh, cryptocurrency exchanges to uh, formally integrate with the fiat financial system. We've got some very interesting exchange, uh, changes that happened in the past uh, couple of weeks in South Africa, for example. So there's generally a lot going on, and um, I think it's it's a very timely um time to be having this conversation about regulation on the continent so i'm just going to be um introducing the all-star panel that we've put together today um first of all is annie annie Akpe. annie is the founder of the uh, african women in tech um she is a force in understanding the state uh, of the industry and what is really happening with trends continent-wide we also have Ray, Ray Youssef. He's the founder and CEO of Paxful. Paxful is one of the largest peer-to-peer -peer exchanges uh, on the continent. It's how I bought, uh, how I am able to buy Bitcoin in markets like Kenya, where a regulatory framework um, isn't in place to use centralized exchanges. We also have Yele, Yele Bademosi. He's the founder and CEO of Bundle, uh, one of my favorite crypto apps. Um, it's got a very, very simple, refined social um, user experience that allows people to buy um, all of the major and some of the minor tokens as well. Uh, I get my Uniswap and my Doge on, on bundle at really great rates. Um, we also have Farzam, who is the co-founder and CEO of Vala.com. Um, Vala is one of the top three uh, centralized cryptocurrency exchanges in South Africa incredible volumes, incredible growth over the past year or so. And we're very, very excited to hear about um, what's happening in the South African space. We also have Marius, um, who is the general manager for Africa for Luno. Luno, I believe, is the largest cryptocurrency exchange in South Africa. Um, recently acquired massive presence all over the world. Great plans for the continent. Um, I'm really betting on this one as being a gateway to many people's first experience uh, buying crypto. We also have Linda Bonio. Um, she's the founder of the Lawyers Hub um, based out of Nairobi. Um, they help startups, businesses, entrepreneurs navigate the legal and regulatory landscape when it comes to their startups. And she's doing a 
ton of policy and advocacy work to get cryptocurrencies up and running in East Africa and beyond. We also have Steve, Steve Biko over here. Um, his hand was Soko Analyst. Uh, he's a one of the foremost commentators on technology and the business space in East Africa. Um, I want to just jump right into this. Maybe, uh, Annie, you can lead us on this. What is the regulatory landscape right now on the continent for crypto? Um, would you say it is friendly, hostile, neutral? Um, are there specific countries that might be more favorable, others that might be more difficult to navigate? Um, we're trying to answer this question for people who might not really have any understanding of what's going on with the crypto landscape on the continent right now. How would you guide us? Well, to begin with, from what I've observed, um, looking at some of the rules, most of the countries have actually um, banned transaction um, for cryptocurrency as it relates to their banking system and not necessarily to individuals. And it depends on the country. Um, some countries don't even have any regulations right now. Um, I do think that a lot of them are reviewing some of their um, policies as we look at you know, Ghana, um, that they're not only reviewing their policy, but they're also creating their own governance tokens that just as we speak, Tanzania, Uganda. Um, so there are no clear concrete. What we're seeing is that they're reviewing um, some of these laws that never even had to matter before. Um, I do think that a lot of countries are looking to see what the West may do, as we typically would say, um, the United States, in terms of what they are looking at. Um, because even here in the U.S., there are no concrete laws as it relates to crypto. There are laws as it relates to if it's a security or a token um, as it stands. And everyone is in a reviewing stage. I think you, you're very right to highlight the specific point to say that it's not a prohibition on usage worldwide or usage in, entirely, but more it's a prohibition on the integration within the formal financial rails. And I think when regulators take a stance to sort of make it difficult for people to on and off ramp um, with the formal financial system, it does introduce um, some friction, but also allows uh, certain players to innovate. I think that would be a good segue um, into a question that I have for you, Yele. Um, earlier, we saw the Nigerian Central Bank take this explicit position to say, um, we're not banning crypto outright, but we are basically banning you from using your bank accounts to uh, facilitate uh, crypto transactions. How has that changed the crypto landscape in, in Nigeria? Has it affected demand in any significant way? And what are some of the innovative workarounds that people have found to be able to continue to enjoy the benefits of participating in the crypto economy? I think that's a very interesting question. Um, to be honest, it's, it's been quite challenging to know or compare the impact of the ban or rather restriction of access to financial services for crypto service providers because we don't have a before, after and then post removal of, of, of these restrictions, right? Um, but we recently conducted an experiment in Ghana, actually. We turned off our fiat channel and then used CashLink in Ghana. And it was really interesting to see some of the comparables without sort of like revealing the, the specific data. We saw a decent decrease in overall volumes, but it wasn't as bad as I would have expected. Where there was a significant decrease was in the number of user activities, right? So the, the decline in kind of user activities was, was, was greater 
from a user count perspective, but the volumes was, was, was less affected. So when I think about my experience in Nigeria, I would think that if there were no restrictions, then, you know, some of the growth that we've seen after kind of launching Cashlink, we probably will be a lot further along than we are than, than we are today. But you know, I think I'm very very bullish on building um, peer-to-peer infrastructure, and companies like Paxful, Remitano, local bitcoins have, in my opinion, shown us the way in terms of how do we build you know resilient systems that work across the world in the way that Bitcoin and crypto assets were were designed, which is building peer-to-peer infrastructure. So I think that there is a very clear demand and need for crypto assets across Africa. I've been quite impressed with the level of understanding by the regulatory bodies. I think as technologists or tech entrepreneurs, we all just think that, you know, these guys in quote don't understand what's going on, but actually they they, they really do. And they do have like some valid concerns about the role of crypto within you know, traditional states, right? So the goal here is how do we help them understand and how do we address the concerns, but also building out infrastructure that allows individuals to have um, the freedom of money that, that, that they do crave. You make a lot of interesting points there, and, and I'm excited for peer-to-peer infrastructure. But what I've found is that it sometimes um, creates some artificial inflation on the prices of crypto assets. But that, that's a conversation I think we can uh, dive deeper into. While still on, on the circulation tangent, and, and welcome, Mo. Um, for the audience, uh, Mo Odele is the founder and CEO of Vazi Legal, a Pan-African uh, legal think tank with a number of initiatives in flight. Um, one of the best and smartest people to talk to for your startup in Nigeria. Mo's uh, reputation speaks for itself. Um, and very glad that you could join us this evening. I'll be coming to you in a moment more with a few questions. Uh, but I wanted to, to segue to you, Farzam. I think about a week, a week and a half ago, uh, I read a very interesting article in the South African press that seems to claim that it is illegal for you to move money from your South African crypto wallet to any uh, offshore uh, cryptocurrency exchange or you know any any decentralized exchange, basically any exchange that doesn't have uh, its operations in South Africa. And I don't know whether that's like a a technical um, thing or an operational thing, but basically it's it's illegal right now for South Africans to use something like Uniswap or SushiSwap, which. Uh, I'm having some difficulty wrapping my head around. Could you comment a little bit about recent changes in the regulatory landscape in South Africa and what the intention uh, behind that might be? Is it to protect the consumer? Uh, If so, to what extent? And how does doing this uh, protect the consumer in any way? Thanks, Riza. Yeah, there's been a lot happening in the crypto front. To give everybody a little bit of context, in South Africa, we have capital controls. They're called exchange controls. And basically what this does is regulates and manages the flow of capital in and out of the country. It should be noted these regulations are 60 years old that uh, emerged during the apartheid era. They were in force before the internet was a thing of our imagination and let alone the cryptocurrency space. Okay, so we're dealing with regulation, and I personally have been very vocal about the fact that these regulations, I believe, stifle the growth of South Africa, period. Crypto or not, they're bad regulations for this country. 
And you'll see that overall, when you have countries that welcome capital, that welcome people to effectively deploy capital where they deem fit and create an environment that's attractive for capital, those are the jurisdictions, those are the countries that do well. So coming to this specific experience is that we have always had known that there's exchange control regulations. Valor uh, works very closely with the regulators in South Africa. We have done so right from the beginning uh, three years ago. And we have always said that we are, if need be, and if it's the law, we will report uh, transactions that go above certain thresholds because that is the law, regardless of whether I like it or not, it is the law and we need to comply. Um, and the response has always kind of been that, you know, when the time is right, we will we will come out with the regulations. And to the regulators' credit, on June 11th, uh, just, you know, less than a month ago, there was a paper that was published by all of the regulators in South Africa, uh, clearing the way for a sensible um, regulatory framework given exchange control. But just in the last few days, there has been a declaration through uh, actually a it's a strange way. It was a frequently asked question on their website about whether people can send crypto from Valor or other local crypto exchanges to offshore exchanges. And the answer in this FAQ was actually that if you transfer any crypto, and what it seemed to insinuate was even a dollar's worth. In South Africa, we obviously have rands. But, you know, a dollar's worth or a rand's worth of crypto from Valor to any or any any local crypto exchange to an offshore exchange, and, and I believe that would be where the entity is incorporated, then that, they said, would be a criminal offense. So I personally disagree with this uh, declaration and this interpretation of the law. Uh, Valor disagrees with this interpretation of the law. They also went so far to say that interacting with a decentralized exchange, DEX, would constitute interacting with an offshore exchange. Now, this also boggles my mind because the Internet is here, there and everywhere at the same time. So it's very, very difficult and frustrating, to be honest, for me to understand how a regulator would say interacting with a protocol based on the in the ether, not the crypto, obviously, but the, the Internet, that that is uh, a breach and in fact, a criminal offense. So suffice it to say, we are in the midst right now of uh, looking at our options uh, to engage with the regulator to effectively right what we believe is a wrong and to pave the path for a sensible and honorable system that preserves people's rights. That is a fantastic response. I think there's a ton to unpack there. This leads me to my next question to you, Mo. Um, given your position and all of the wonderful work that you're doing, um, I, I'm pretty sure you have a bird's eye view as to what sort of trends uh, are taking place continent-wise. Do you see any sort of patterns that are emerging uh, in regards to specific geographies and what sort of like positions they are taking in regards to crypto? Or is everyone sort of like, you know, doing their own thing? It feels that way to me. Um, a lot of East Africa doesn't have any explicit policy. South Africa seems to allow you to do certain things, but you know they are restricting other things which are technically difficult to define. And then Nigeria is a, a case study in and of itself. Uh, what are your views on this? Thank you so much, Wiza, for that uh, very kind introduction. From the legal aspect, right? How how I say crypto, I, you know, we 
at Basilego divide the continents into into four different pieces, and I'll kind of explain what what, what we see. So the first one is um, crypto positive environments, and that kind of like explains itself. So we see places like Mauritius, um, where you have a, re a regulated uh, a regulated atmosphere, but regulation is not the only thing that makes a a particular country uh, crypto positive. It's like when a country is taking the steps to see the growth and the evolution of the of the crypto space and it's kind of moving with that evolution so even with the type of regulation that Mauritius has you will see that that move has happened now the next one the next uh, classification, classification we have is what uh, we call crypto suspect and then countries like Nigeria would fall under this sort of crypto suspect um, uh, you know classification where it's like hey just in Nigeria, for instance, you have the CBN coming out to say, hey, you know, this crypto thing, you have to be careful. And then you have the the SEC, the Nigeria SEC, coming to say, you know what, we're taking up steps to uh, to try and regulate this space. Um, there's some things, that, I mean, on, on, on what SEC is doing, there, there are certain things that we're aware of that I cannot speak about publicly, but I do know that the organization is taking steps to kind of like really understand the space. And then it would seem at variance with what the CBN is doing because the CBN is coming up with all of this, um, you know, seculars and warnings and all of that. Um, but the SEC, uh, I think a couple of months ago, issued out a statement saying that they are working with the CBN to figure out how to regulate um, crypto. So they really fall under this crypto suspect um, classification. I would say countries like Kenya fall under this classification as well. In fact, we classify South Africa as crypto suspect because even if South Africa has regulation, some of that regulation, um, just like Fazam had said, are, are harmful, could be harmful to the growth of the industry. So we classify them as suspect. Now, another, we, we have a, Another classification, the third one, which is anti-crypto, right? So these are countries that have come out to say, hey, we are going to arrest you if you are caught trading crypto. I'm not going to mention any names. And then we have um, crypto neutral, which is the fourth classification. And then under this, we have countries like Tunisia. Um, and there are many countries like this where crypto is not regulated, but it's also not illegal, right? And then our favorite, funny enough, um, are really the crypto neutral spaces. Because I think that just as regulation is important in certain spaces, uh, argue um, what, what you may, but crypto is one of the big inventions of our time right I, I really would liken it to the invention of the internet really where a lot of people were positive suspect or anti or you know just neutral and the people who are neutral when it comes to innovation are really the people saying that hey let's see where this goes um just trying to piggyback off um what Yele said about being bullish on the p2p space i think there's a lot of potential in just really sitting back and you know being neutral and um, many countries on the continent interestingly um from what we see are actually crypto neutral um you see a lot of noise from countries that are anti-crypto and crypto suspect um, and it makes you feel like the continent is you know anti-crypto but that's not what it tells you and um, what we're seeing is that a lot of people are maybe too lazy to regulate or at least just waiting but for us we're really excited about the fact that you know people are just giving crypto you know the space to breathe grow and evolve that is really exciting so at Luno, one of the initial countries markets of operation was South Africa and they've managed to set up a very 
robust uh, and mature organization. There was a time last year when I was walking through um, the Rosebank How train station and all I could see uh, were Luno signs talking about how crypto is the future of money and how people should sign up and it was really, really exciting to see. And then um, I believe it was last year where we read uh, of the news of Luno's acquisition for an undisclosed sum. You know, no, no one ever discloses the larger sum, so I'm pretty sure it was a very healthy amount. Uh, and I'm led to believe that Luno perhaps has one of the more mature regulatory uh, compliance organizations with their distributed team offices here in South Africa, some people in London, some people in Singapore. Um, how How is Luno thinking about the fragmented regulatory landscape uh, on the continent? Um, and, you know, what sort of tips and ideas can you give us around best practices for engaging the regulators? Uh, when building these types of businesses. Oh, Riza, thanks for the opportunity. And yeah, so I think, you know, we definitely don't have a, a secret formula. Um, I mean, I think the fact that we're still not really active in Nigeria again proves that. <laughs> so we definitely also experience the same challenges as most other crypto platforms. From a regulated perspective, I think, you know, if you don't know what you're dealing with and, and, and it's gaining a rapid traction, then that must be a very, very daunting task or prospect for regulators. So, so I've, I have some, some, just a little bit of understanding from where they're coming from. I think if we look, look at it from an Africa perspective, um, you know, five or six years ago, we, we were at a, at a point where um, there was absolutely zero tolerance for crypto from, from banks you know, and from regulators across the continent. Um, Luno operated in Kenya back in 2014 and 15 and then got shut down. Um, and I think since, since, since then, it's actually improved slightly. So we, we had a, a couple more pragmatic regulators across, across markets, including Nigeria at some stage. And as, as early as last year, um, the SEC in Nigeria still put forward a very sensible proposal to regulate the market. And that's before the, C, the CBN directive. Um, and I think you know, this zero-tolerance approach that we're seeing at this point, now we've got markets... Um, such as uh, Kenya, you know, where crypto is basically banned from a financial institution perspective. In Namibia, a smaller country, it's banned. Nigeria, I think Ghana took a similar stance to the CBN in Nigeria. So we've seen this trend over, over the last six months or so, and it's very dangerous, right? Um, it'll definitely impact the rate of adoption across the continent. It's still relatively difficult for, for the average person, not the, not the big savvy among us, but the average person to access crypto. I don't think it'll completely stop adoption. I think the, we will always see grassroots level growth and, and we will always see people um, you know, finding ways to, to, to buy crypto. And that's great. But I think you know, stifling the rate of adoption for sure. I think the fact that we all still are very dependent on, on banks, financial institutions, right, to, to, to bank us. We, we're dependent on auditors, financial auditors. Um, we create job opportunities. Um, and, uh, and we can make people and it, it makes our jobs very, very difficult when you have regulators um, not willing you know, to listen. And I think that's been one of the bigger challenges. So we're only active um, at Lino in South Africa, Nigeria and, and Uganda at this stage. Mm -hmm. But we're actually in discussions with regulators across three or four other African markets like Ghana, Kenya, uh, Zambia, etc. And it's been really, really challenging um, to actually find a way into these organizations. So 
our role is to uh, is to educate regulators. It's to share learning experiences from interactions in, in other markets like Malaysia, where we where Luna has a license, um, regions you know, such as Indonesia, the UK as well. Share our experiences with regulators, and and in Africa over, over the last year, or so it's become increasingly difficult to to get their audience, um, and we're experiencing the same issues um, in Nigeria currently. So. I think what's key for us, right, is to partner with 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 you know, local local experts. You know, I'm, me sitting in Johannesburg, South Africa, I've got no clue around the the local nuances that we see in Uganda or in Zambia, for example. So we try and partner with with local experts, uh, um, people in the the law sector, um, financial institutions, etc., to to help us with introductions to these regulators. Um, and to ultimately get a seat at the table um, to try and lobby for regulation. So I think that's that's been the only real approach you know, over time with some perseverance that for us yielded results. That's excellent. Uh, exciting to hear. Um, I, I'm, I'm made to feel a bit more optimistic um, with the progress that you've been able to make uh, in Malaysia, Indonesia, and Southeast Asia in general. I think if we're able to sort of copy those uh, frameworks to illustrate how it is actually possible to have a, a crypto economy without the entire world falling apart uh, to regulators. That would be a very, very powerful tool um, towards them driving acceptance and then uh, further also uh, being able to have a more informed view about where the, the future is actually going. I had a question around the, the state of crypto in Kenya specifically, and generally the East African region, it being um, the economic powerhouse of the region. It seems as though um, Kenya's stance uh, in regards to cryptocurrency has been a bit on the negative slash hostile side. And it is very difficult to operate a centralized exchange in Kenya today, leading to uh, higher prices because people are forced to use peer-to-peer. -peer and, and, you know, peer-to-peer -peer traders, even though they are extremely useful, don't benefit from the same economies of scale that a centralized exchange might be able to benefit from. Um, you have a pretty keen eye on what's happening in the space, what's going on in the markets. Can you please tell us, when are we able, going to be able to easily transact uh, in Kenya with M-Pesa? for crypto, is that going to happen at all? Or do we continue uh, dealing with our dealers? Uh, first, thank you for the opportunity. Interesting comment, especially from Nigeria. The Kenyan market, unfortunately, it's, it's a different beast altogether because of the toxic regulations that we have at the behest of the political class. So basically, a couple of things make it very difficult to talk about it, to trade or even do anything with crypto because of one, lack of information. Very few people understand what crypto is, what is the best line about it, what is the foundation around it. To those in charge currently are focusing on other elements in terms of regulating the financial sector. And the Central Bank of Kenya has actually come out very clearly and, and said that this is an asset class that is not truly understood. And um, Kenya is actually waiting for the West and probably China to see what's happening because I know a lot, a lot is happening in China especially we've seen what's been happening in China in the last two, three weeks. China is coming up with its own digital asset bank, same to the U.S. So in, in terms of what's happening in Kenya, the, the current administration is actually changing the key players or the stakeholders who regulate the financial sector. 
there's supposed to be an amalgamation of various bodies to come together to form a better converged one. So no one is really looking at anything else. Everyone is looking at how do we bring these bodies together. Secondly, we are actually into a political drive and um, everyone is covering their assets, everyone is covering their skins, trying to ensure that um, whatever they're in charge of doesn't, doesn't follow up. So bringing in a new asset class to, to discuss or to do anything about it is actually a big challenge. And then third, Lack of information is actually a very, very big challenge. Actually, the last one month, we've seen a lot of scams happening in the country and a lot of Kenyans have lost money. So anyone talking about crypto without the backing of an official body or an official media stream, you looked at with suspicion that you're out to con the public money. So for me, Kenya, it's, it's hostile to the asset class and I don't see that changing in this administration. So maybe we'll start looking at it maybe when we get the right leadership, people who are pro-change. And uh, I think many African countries are afraid of, of the technology behind crypto, and that is why they do not want to actually discuss it. So maybe if, if we're having a discussion, and as much as we're looking from peer-to-peer -peer kind of transactions, we also need to understand the foundation of, of crypto and how best people actually keep players and, and, and stakeholders in, in, in the crypto business across the continent, how best they can be able to push it forward. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Linda, you're doing a ton of work around uh, coordinating uh, various industry actors in regards to some of the issues that um, Steve has described. So yeah, um, Linda, I'll let you go first and then Ray, you can come in. I was going to just make comments from what everyone has said, which I find the discussion really interesting. I know that people who are thinking through, okay, first I'm trying to understand what's crypto, how does it work, and is it actually a scam? Because what happens with um, new technologies, they're always early adopters, and then there's a rest of everyone, you know, um, sort of trying to figure out okay, what's, what's happening. So I think my first comment would be, uh, building up from what, you know, um, Soko Analyst has talked about, I don't think politicians will tell you that they like this technology. What I've realized, even within the telco sort of industry, if they don't understand it, they will keep quiet, but they would start developing positions or, you know, buying something around it. And I'll, I'll talk about other things that have happened in the past, where the political class buys time, they issue a warning, but then they begin to invest in that area quietly, um, a mass sort of, you know, muscle in that sector and then begin running the sector. So I don't think that the political class is actually just watching. They're making moves, but they're not announcing those moves until they get a clear advantage. And that's my thought about crypto. Um, so there's so much that's happening behind the scenes. And if you look at the regulations, for instance, in Kenya, within the financial sector, the central bank would not announce a lot of the stuff that they're doing, but you would hear about the consultations they're doing with industry partners that actually it's actually not in the media, then you would see they're thinking through, okay, what about our own digital currency? And so I, I think, let's not imagine that the regulators are not doing anything. They want control by all means, because crypto ideally means that whatever controls that central banks had before and power is no longer available in that sense. And then finally, as we break down regulation, I think um, a lot of the time we ask, why regulate the space? We need regulation. But we also don't see, you know, we don't explain exactly why there's need for regulation or not. And one of the things they talk about, you know, in terms of consumer protection, and I'd really love for us to maybe deliberate on what are the areas within the crypto space in which people can be taken advantage of, that the government needs to step in and say, okay, we are going to protect our consumers. If people are investing in the space, we need to protect investors. Um, but I, I think we need to be, you know, very choosy about what aspects you're regulating 
rather than you know look at an entire industry and saying we are going to ban that industry and the whole issue around criminalizing innovation where government just comes in and says you know what uh, that's wrong and then we will stop you rather than say you innovating but we can get you to a regulatory sandbox and see can you survive in this space and i think that should be the role of capital markets authorities across the continent and kenya has tried that that would the capital markets authority just come in and say okay um can we look at crypto in a, a way that is safe that they have room to grow but not all the rules apply to them because these are new you know these are new sort of innovations that we need to give time and figure out what this actually means the other thing that we i think we must think of think about in terms of regulations just to see the whole competition thing and dominance um i think the major issue around crypto is just control um in my opinion and everybody wants to exert control over money because without currency you don't have government you know government is more powerful because they get your taxes and that's what they used to you know um build roads and things like that um so i think those would be my comments on um on crypto well wow. that's a lot to unpack and i think at this point i'm just going to open it up um maybe raise uh, i just wanted to understand when i look at the data on useful tulips i see that actually July 2020 has been your best month yet according to the data on on useful tulips instead of in terms of uh, peer to peer volume in Nigeria in South Africa um in the Central African Franc region there's a number of countries there um also in Rwanda etc i think peer to peer is growing and and you know i just want to get your thoughts your general thoughts on how if at all regulators need to uh, think about regulating the space especially in light of what uh, linda has just shared uh in regards to the attitudes and sometimes the presumptions uh around the space should we should it continue to be unregulated do you think that's going to be healthy for the industry well let, let's look at the story of of just fintech in africa you know mpesa started out in kenya it wasn't regulated they didn't go to the regulators first they just did it and it got regulated after the fact there's 2000 payment networks in africa only 3% of them talk to each other mpesa user in Kenya cannot send money to an M-Pesa user in Ghana and it's the same story everywhere else. What's the problem with that? The problem is that African countries essentially can't talk to each other. Imagine an instant messenger that couldn't communicate with another with your friend or family in another country because they just they couldn't talk to each other. You wouldn't deal with that, right? It doesn't make sense. So the opportunity before us, let's first ask why do we need to regulate peer to peer? It's really a matter of uh, insurance, right? I mean, we want to make sure this thing keeps going. Peer to peer is growing. It's growing incredibly well. If a bear market comes along, it'll start growing even faster. Once the CBN ban in Nigeria went down, our volumes went up by at least 20% and they continue to rise. So, peer to peer can solve the biggest problem in the world, especially the biggest problem in Africa in that, you know, Africa is under a state of what I like to call economic apartheid. It is the biggest problem on the planet, especially in places like Africa. People, there's a lot of money in Africa, and this is something I tell people all the time. People outside of Africa, they think that Africans are all poor. And like, no, Africa is quite wealthy. There's a lot of money there. It's just that people can't use it. They can't send money out of the country to a different country outside of the continent. They can't even send money to the same to the country next door. It's easier just to fill up a suitcase full of cash. That's a problem because a seamless pan-African settlements network would create tremendous wealth in Africa. in my opinion and i've been saying this for a while now it would spark a golden age in africa and i'll happily say that and continue to say that because it will happen so this is the prize before us is 
you know, tremendous wealth for all the peoples of Africa. So why do we need to regulate peer-to-peer? It can continue just fine without it, right? So let's look at the United States, for example. So there's, you know, peer-to-peer traders in the United States that have been arrested, had their accounts shut down because they didn't have a money transmitter license. These weren't Paxful traders, but on other platforms like local Bitcoins, this was indeed the case. You need a money transmitter license in every state in the United States to be able to transmit money. It's in effect like a miniature banking charter. Extremely difficult to get. It's it's not something that a normal person can just get, right? But if it was easy for a normal person to do that, they would have a much easier time opening up bank accounts. They would have clarity. They would be able to transact across borders, across states. And it would generally it would grow, it allowed the space to grow at scale. So those economies of scale that you were talking about in centralized exchanges like Luno, Valor, et cetera, they have that because, you know, they have a license to do so. They can have a bank account and they can scale that up quite quickly. If we can do the same thing in Africa, we'll have the same. We'll have an explosion of trade and that always equals wealth and prosperity for everyone. So we should regulate crypto, but it has to be done in a way that is innovation friendly. Because I don't know what the next country is going to be to legalize crypto, Bitcoin. But I believe in my heart that it'll be Africa. It could be Uganda and Entebbe. It could be Sierra Leone. It could be Rwanda, Paul Kagame, the man. Who knows who it could be? But the more work that we do, the more that we speak out in a way that is respectful, diplomatic, but to the point, to the business point, here's the corridors we're going to build. Just release this regulation. Give us some clarity. Give the traders on the ground some clarity. And you'll make this tax money. And don't worry it won't suck the foreign currency out of your economy and collapse your currency. Don't worry about that. There's gonna, there's, it's not a concern. It'll actually bring in more foreign currency and allow you to put your people to work. If we can make an argument like that, put it all together because it's all true, then we have an epic win on our hands. That's, that's really powerful, right? Uh, that's that's the, the only word that I have for it. This podcast is made possible by the generous giving of our partners at the Africa Low Tech Festival. These partners include Safaricom, Omedia Network, International Commission of Jurists Kenya, Amnesty International Kenya, Internews, Mozilla Foundation, CIPESA, and the support of the government of Kenya at the Africa Low Tech Festival. We thank you and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Africa Low Tech Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify and share this podcast with your friends. This podcast is hosted by The Lawyers Hub. The Lawyers Hub works on digital policy and legal innovation. To find out more about The Lawyers Hub, kindly visit lawyershub.org and africalawtech.com.